Hey there. Before we get going today, I want to give you guys a few discount codes for our products and our show sponsors. So please don't just zip through this. If you're listening to the podcast, we at Hardwick Life want to reward you for your loyalty. So take 25% off your order of any of our products at hardwick.life by using the code HardwickFF25. That's HardwickFF25 because we consider you friends and family. That's FF. That's Hardwick FF25. And the website is hardwick.life. It's like hardwick.com, but it's hardwick.life. In case you've missed it, we've lowered the price of that Lose Like a Lineman and Lose Like a Lady program all the way down to just $25. That's a one-time fee. It's not monthly. It's not recurring. And yes, because you listen to this podcast, that Hardwick FF25 code will take 25% more off of that. So if you want me to do the math for you, that's $18.75. And the Facebook support group is now $0. Why? Because I get a bigger kick out of seeing people reclaim their health and reclaim their lives than I do making money. So why not make it free, Nick? That's what you may ask. Because I do believe it has to sting a little bit in order for you to make it happen. If it's free, you're going to treat it like it's free, which means it's going to end up in the recycle bin. The psychological term for that would be called the opt-in. Also, thank you to the show sponsors and products that I've been using for years now. Bubs Naturals and Julian Bakery, both are tremendous products. I highly recommend them both. For 20% off of Bubs Naturals, use the code HARDWICK20 at bubsnaturals.com. And for 10% off of Julian Bakery, use code Nick Hardwick. That's just my name. Nick Hardwick at julianbakery.com. And lastly, if you love this show and it benefits your life in any way at all, even if it's a tiny way, please rate and review us wherever you listen to the show. Something as simple as a five-star rating, not asking too much, and a love this show, Jamie is the best, will help boost our rating so more people can see us and who knows, maybe their life gets better too. Thank you guys. Now let's get to the show. Hey gang, what's going on? Welcome to the Hardwick Life Podcast. It's your host, Nick Hardwick. I guess I should say I'm your host, Nick Hardwick. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Our guests today are going to be awesome. That's right. Plural guests. Me, one host, two guests. They're the raddest, quirkiest, best follow on social media. It's the owners of Paleo Treats, Lee Selman and Nick Hawks. These two are incredibly eclectic. They come from a well-traveled and diverse background and somehow... They came to land on making paleo desserts for a living. Let me tell you a little bit about paleo treats. They're the best paleo desserts in the world. They guarantee it, and I can testify to that. Some of you may recognize their treats like the Bandito, the Mustang Bar, Cacao Now, Mac Attack, Rocket, and the Brownie Bomb. So delicious. No gluten, grain, or dairy. They've got keto and plant-based options available. They were started in 2009 after the owners were introduced to the paleo diet, that at the time had no easy desserts. And from the jump, it was successful, selling out as a vendor in the third CrossFit Games at the ranch in 2015. And FedEx recognized Paleo Treats as one of the top 10 small businesses in the U.S. and invited them to sit on their entrepreneur advisory board. The business is a successful and odd combination of excellent food, beautiful art, and a deep understanding of the importance of the things outside of the balance sheet. Lee Selman is a New Mexican by birth and an artist adventurer by choice. She has spent time in war zones like Nicaragua, 
cancer clinics, camel farms. She owned an expedition company in West Africa and more countries. She's been to more countries than she can remember. And she is a pursuant of extraordinary health and has a keen eye for the beauty and joy of the world. She also has a side business called Man Rabbit Art. Uh, She's done it for years in conjunction with an art partner. Nick Hawks is happiest in uncertain realms, whether they're physical, digital, or social. It turns a soldier, sailor, entrepreneur, and general bon vivant. He is driven to explore the unknowns and the many realities we humans can experience. Nick has a couple of other businesses going on as well. Uh, Gristle King, it's a blockchain consultancy focusing on the helium ecosystem and other blockchains and meat space projects. I have no idea what that is, but I've got to ask about that. So that's super interesting to me. And then there's another one called Climate.x. It's a project on the blockchain combining physical and digital reality as teams of participants compete across a three-day span. This one's going to be super interesting for me because I think these two in particular, they have such a wide array of interest and flavor, and yet they're still able to run a very successful business, keep their eyes on the prize, stay focused with that while entertaining their other sides of their personalities through other business ventures. And, and that's really interesting to me. I, I feel a little bit that way where I've got a lot of hands and a lot of different fires. And I want to know how they manage all of that. How do they come to it? And they're just super duper interesting people. And in my opinion, you can't talk to enough of those. So guys, I hope you really enjoy this one. I know I'm going to enjoy my time with Lee and Nick. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you on the other side. Oh, please, if you like the episode, if you like the podcast, share it with a friend, and maybe rate and review it if you can wherever you listen to podcasts. Love you guys. Thanks so much. See you on the other side. Hey, what's uh, what's the state of affairs in San Diego? I'm coming back in a few weeks. What's how's everything going? Seems to be a nice place. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're not having a snow day? No, no snow no days. Snow. We don't have snow days here. We don't, uh, don't generally do that. Um, yeah, yeah, San Diego's, it's good. Weather's Sunny nice. Sunny and 70. I think the, the kind of mask thing is maybe 50-50 going to 70-30 now. So 70% of people are going towards not wearing masks or just getting over it. 50% of people. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah. A lot of people are like, where you go. no, not doing it anymore. Yeah, I, that's Indiana's been that way for a while, but it seems like it it goes in waves, like it goes away and then it comes back, and you know everyone's kind of doing what what everyone wants to do. And I think we've just come to I think we've come to a good. We've it's like a big a wave at the like, football game. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, yeah. Stand up, sit down. Where? <laughs> what are we doing now? I don't know. But it seems like I guess we've we've kind of come to a place where everybody's just like, you do you, I'll do me. We're here we are. We're yeah, fine. Yeah, we just kind of try and play along with yeah. Just like, hey, if they come in wearing a mask, we'll wear a mask. If they don't come in wearing a mask, we'll just see like how it what does it feel like? Just gotta feel out the vibe every time. And right, you're in the service industry, so that's kind of the deal. Do you think most businesses skew on the other side where they're like, hey, I'll wear a mask and tell some, you know, it's like just uh i don't know we've seen all kinds and i think especially being in the more like of the health side is that there's a a pretty strong split on the health side between people who are like the i believe in science people and then the people who are i believe in my body people and neither one of them is is really wrong like everyone's trying to figure out what 
what the actual truth is. But it seems more like the the kind of I believe in my body people or I listen to myself are in the in the no mask zone and the I believe in science in science people are in the mask zone. So it's it's odd to see because obviously there's only kind of one actual truth, but no one seems to know what it is. I mean, I don't know myself. Like, oh, what's what is 100% the truth? So we just kind of meet people where they are and hope for the best. Hey, and maybe there is no actual 100%. This is the deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it's something. It's just we haven't found it. We haven't understood we, it. <laughs> we, and maybe it's just something we have to learn to live with. And I guess that's maybe what we're coming to realize is we're just, this is uh, ever present. It's crazy. But I haven't actually talked about it in a while. Uh, it seems like, well, I don't, I don't follow like news. I don't, uh, I, I do my best to stay away from that. So it's been a really happy bubble for me overall. It's fantastic. We, we're in the same boat. It's like, I'm not, not looking at any of that stuff, not listening to that stuff. It's just meeting the world where it is. You know, sometimes if people are super concerned with putting that stuff on or talking about that, I guess we talk about that, but most of the time it's like, oh, there's so many other rad things to talk about and do and that's the direction we go. All right, we got to get into some of these things because you've got some things that I'm reading through the bio and I'm like, I don't even know what this is. So at, at some point we got to get to the Helio eco, ecosystem. I don't really understand blockchain. So maybe you could break that down to me, but I think you guys are just so wonderfully diverse and you've got such a broad array of like interest and talents and I think the thing that's most impressive to me, because I have a lot of interests and talents, but I also have a really difficult time staying focused on the task and keeping the main thing, the main thing. And I think you guys seem to do a really good job of, at least by my perception. Six main things, the six main things. <laughs> I guess, you know, that is, uh, that is very true. So the other area to compliment you guys really is, I think it's super hard digitally to have your personalities shine through and like your personalities and your values and really what you, what you hold to be important. And so those, those just in like what your company is, where's all that come, where's all that come from? Like, is that you Lee? Is that you Nick? Or is that just both minds coming together? Yeah, that's me mostly. It's, um, I have a really cool, uh, creative art partner through paleo treats and her and I just have a good time and it's, um, her name's Virgin and, uh, we see her dancing at times, right? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a, we're, we're really in a fortunate place through paleo treats is we've got, um, <coughs> swallowed something the wrong way. Gee, I'm going <laughs> to die here. On camera. Stand by. <laughs> that, you did not swallow a paleo. Like, <laughs> my eyes are going black. Like Jesus, I, I better just cough. Maybe that's the best way to do it. I'm, I'm no uh, broadcasting pro. So. Hey, when eating, when eating raw almonds, it's best to chew them first. <laughs> yeah. Generally, generally advised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You okay? Yeah, I think I'll make it now. When you go forward, just I'll just know to stop. <laughs> a hand coming out of nowhere. So yeah, just, well. Lee, you know the Heimlich. Come on, you've been CPR trained. Oh well, hey, just get behind him and start yanking. He's good yeah, at it. So, so self rescue in this house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, there, you got a chair. Find a chair and just yeah, I yeah. can, I, I got he can do it. He's got it. Okay. Yeah, so you know, we just um. 
it's a creative outlet for us on the on the creative stuff and you know where um we just I think for both for Nick and I on everything that we're doing we just make sure and have a good time and follow the the joy mm -hmm. and kill things really fast so I'm I'm an artist I'm the artist man rabbit I have an art partner and we've been around for about 14 years and we're two we're a female artist duo and we paint these really amazing huge women and they are beautiful yeah we dig it's so much fun and so yeah. most of my time and my brain is on just creativity and that's just how i work so it's just an easy transition to put that into the business part of it and I think it's really, you know, to lighten other people's load and to make people laugh and something that I like and I think is funny, you know, that's like, that's how it all comes together. And it's, I don't know, I love acting and wearing wigs and doing weird shit and it just all, I don't know, it all just comes together. So, and then you, we get to inspire people to eat healthy and mm -hmm and live healthy and get off, you know, stop worrying about a bunch of fear and shit that's happening in the world. And, you know, cause when you feel good and you're, you know, you just have more good in your life and yeah, that's about it. I, I use the expression, I take it seriously, but it's not that serious. And it seems like you guys, I mean, really embody that with, of course it's serious. You know, you want to do your best. You're giving your best effort and everything you do. But at the end of the day, it's like, Hey man, we're slanging, we're slanging treats that are kind of adjunct to a, a healthy lifestyle and a healthy diet. And it's, it's the fun part of that. Yeah. 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 And we own the company, you know, like hundred percent and we don't really have to, you know, so no investors telling no us investors that we shouldn't, do, us that we shouldn't do that or this. And so, yeah, that's. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your background, because I think it's important to, I guess, lay the, the groundwork. And I, I told people in the introduction a little bit about you kind of hinting at it, but I think you both come from like a, a super cool circuitous path to get to where you are and there was a lot of risk involved in both of your lives through whether it's business or previous lives and all of those things, like there was a lot of risk. And, and now I guess it's more maybe creative risk than anything, but it's still, you still put yourself out there. It's tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely flex that muscle. Yeah. So you want to go start? ahead? I, you go. I can tell Don't your choke. story. You can, yeah, you can tell mine. <laughs> Um, yeah, like straight out of high school, joined the Navy, did that thing for five years, had a good time spending government dollars doing super fun things overseas in here. And then, uh, bought a small boat, sailed it from San Diego down through the Panama Canal up to the East coast, up to Florida, sold it to a guy in Jamaica, um, sailed it down there and left it with him. And then I met Lee, uh, Lee and I started doing a little bit of traveling together, um, started dating a year or two later, no, maybe four years later we were married, but we were, we were together the whole time. Um, yeah, lived in San Diego pretty much that whole time and then just started a bunch of businesses like coming out of the Navy. I wasn't super entrepreneurial 
and then meeting leaves like, oh, well, this is how we're going to do things. We're going to kind of maintain our freedom. <laughs> we're, we're probably not going to be great employees and we'll just lean into that. So started a bunch of businesses. Some of them didn't do well. Some of them did really well. Uh, 2015, we're the top 10 small business in America from FedEx. We sat on their entrepreneur advisory board. So just as, as each one, each iteration went through its life cycle, we'd just learn more and more. And that was, that's kind of the, the thing that I, I think helps us be continually successful is like, hey, maybe you don't succeed in the moment, but you're always learning something and then you apply that to the next thing. And so now at this point with both Paleo Treats, which is the cookie company selling desserts for the Paleo diet and with Gristle King, which is the Helium kind of blockchain consultancy. We're taking all the stuff we've learned from starting notary businesses, ATM businesses, welding businesses, you know, building overseas, but like all these different things and putting them into these latest two endeavors and also this uh, Climax DAO thing. Um, and just putting it all together and saying like, all right, the, the better you are really, the more fun you can have because you can flex more and you make less mistakes so you can be more efficient with your energy and then that energy can then go further into building out whatever it is that you're, you're trying to build out. So everything in your head is just a lesson for the next step, right? So like at, at some point you're just, even if it's a fail, it's, I'm still, I learned a lot from that. And the next one's going to be easier and I'm getting more efficient and I understand what worked and what didn't work. And I can just continue to move it down the line. Exactly. And I'd like, you know, have your ups and downs. You get the, the kind of high points of the FedEx recognition, the low point of being bankrupt. And we've seen all of that stuff. We've had a bunch of property. We lost a bunch of property in bankruptcy. We've had a bunch of money. We've had no money. We've had kind of all the different pieces of, of at least like a first world up and down life. Um, it's not like we're, you know, swimming through the ocean to get to a Spanish city just to get European citizenship. Like we've had it way more cush than that. But for the, the kind of normal Western first world life, um, we've seen a lot of what's out there. And, and that just drives drives the decisions you make in the sense that it gives you perspective. You know, when something happens, when whatever, something breaks or a box doesn't go to the right customer or they get the wrong thing or whatever it is, you can just sit back and be like, okay, this is not a big deal. We can solve this and we could probably have fun solving it and making it a really cool experience for everyone involved. And just having that attitude of, of learning and, and sharing like a, a rad experience with everyone, whether that's a, a good or a bad one makes everything seem, yeah, just a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah. And I think also being able just to, to always pivot, you know, because you're going to be surprised what tomorrow, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow with your shit. And it's like, wow. Okay. And then I think a lot of people just kind of quit, you know, or quit too soon or can't, do another iteration or know when to quit. And so you just, it's all those decisions you have to make. And I guess when you have like, you've gone through bankruptcy and you've had low points and you've had property and then you lost property. And when you've tasted that side of things, I guess you're unafraid to be there because, Hey, you made it. I don't know what, what were the, what were those periods like? I mean, when you were in the middle of them, it's probably easy looking back and going, Oh, that was a great lily pad to the next one. But when you were in the middle of it, how did you mentally continue to push forward? It used to kind of after a while. Yeah. I mean, but it's also terrifying. It's just it's, like, it's that yeah. thing where I remember when we were coming up to the bankruptcy moment, and this is 10 years ago now, maybe more. more. Yeah maybe 14, 13, um, is I would just like in the middle of the day be laying on the floor, like, fuck, I don't know what we're going to do next. And yeah, just like I've done everything I can do. Like I spent all the energy I had, 
I don't have the energy to even stand up right now. So I'm just going to lay on the floor for like 20 minutes and then get back up and keep going. And you, you don't know what's going to happen, especially if it's the first time you've, you've kind of met with serious failure. And so the, I think the cool thing about having met with so much failure already, again, in the, that kind of first world perspective is that it's just less and less scary to fail on whatever the next thing is. And because you're not afraid of it, it's way easier to succeed. You know, the one thing that we all know is that if you're super nervous about something, it's, it's really hard to perform. If you're less nervous, you're just like, oh yeah, I got this shot. And you, whatever, throw the ball or you write the check or you, you know, buy the website or whatever it is. And it, it just all is easier to make everything work out. That's funny. I was having a conversation with my oldest son, who's really averse to losing. And when he does lose, he has a complete meltdown and he's still got a really healthy ego that we're working on. It's like, Hey, this isn't, this is, you know, it's like a normal 10 year old boy, right? He's, he's trying to find his place in the world. And it's how do you deal with loss the best? And, and what I gave to him the other day was, and I don't know if it went through at the time, but hopefully it will over time, like water torture, it'll eventually bleed in there. It was, before you enter into anything, you have to realize that you may fail, that this could be a reality in your life, that you could lose this little competition that you're entering, whatever that competition is. So on the way in, you have to realize that's a possibility. So don't be caught off guard when it is, but you'll be surprised too, when you accept failure as an option, that you're going to perform better and you're actually going to win. And it's that kind of strange dichotomy you alluded to is, when you don't feel the pressure of only having to win, that you're going to be at your best. You're going to be able to relax and perform and because nervous doesn't perform well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like a total samurai Musashi thing like that, that kind of it. Cause there's the other piece of it where the people who are the most successful tend to be the people who just lose their shit if they lose anything. And it drives them so hard to be better than everyone else that they get there. And so it's, you know, where, like, where do we draw the line? It, I don't think there are any lessons, <clears throat> not any, there are very few important lessons that we can teach all of the most important lessons you have to learn. And the learning part is like when the door opens, you're ready for it. If the door is closed, like there's no way you can get it. Sometimes you just got to blast through that door and be like, this is not what I wanted. And as long as you don't, you know, don't lose your life. You don't lose the, the, the ability to experience this planet, then you learn. And, and maybe it takes you a couple of times to figure out how valuable that is and how little you are risking when you're trying anything new. Yeah. That's mic drop moment right there. That's yeah. And it is, and it is true. I think to what you were saying, it's like maybe somebody who hates losing that much is just driven to success. And so for me, like I'm a really good loser and I, I hate admitting that because people are like, well, you're just a loser. And it's like, no, I'm really good at it. I just have realized that those losses continue to push me along further. And then I have a natural drive in me and I don't, have to be afraid of losing or anything like that. I'm just really good at it. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to win because I like to win too. But, and I think naturally most of us are pushed to succeed. So it's not like when I, when I say I'm a good loser, my dad always looks at me and he's like, I, I don't know. I just never got comfortable losing. I'm like, well, I, I don't know. We just see things a little bit differently, but that's okay too. I think it's the yeah. meaning you give it too. Yeah. Like that's the biggest thing. Like, what meaning am I gonna, really going to give this, you know? And it's yeah. your choice. It's your, you know, your responsibility. You're responsible for, you know, the, how you're going to react to it and deal, you know, look at it. And we're meaning making machines, you know? That's kind of what we're doing all, all the time, all day, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's that's really unique. A roadblock. It could be something you need to go around. It's something you know you're you're learning something, and it's all as long as you have that strive inside to just keep going. Yeah, the strive and the curiosity, I think, is a really important element to have a good personality trait to have. Lee, tell me about you, because I mean, I know the bio, but you've done some like some wild things. And by the way, for people out there, just even if you never buy a paleo treat, subscribe to get the newsletter because you guys are great writers. Like, and, and I don't, it's not, I'm not just like hyperbole. That's like, you're great, great writers. I, and I read your newsletters because I, it made me want to start putting out newsletters that I started to, but I'm not near as good as you. And it takes me way longer. I know than you, and I'm not as near as concise, but I'm like, man, every time I get a newsletter, I read that thing. You're like, these are so awesome. Oh, cool. That's great. Yeah. Super good. Yeah. Um, so I can probably move through a lot of stuff. I, um, grew up in New Mexico, never finished high school, never really remembered what grade I kind of finished at, you know, it could have been like sophomore, junior year and, uh, you know, went through all whatever, moved out to California, had a, this, I wanted to, uh, cross North Africa. I got this idea. I traveled a lot. Um, I wanted to be a war correspondent for a bit, a chunk of time. So I had, um, there was a, Iran Contra war was going on in Nicaragua, yeah. Central America. People remember in the eighties, that was a 10 year war that was going on. So I went down, I wanted to be a war correspondent. So I was pretty fascinated with, you know, what was going on in the war world with, um, conflict. So I actually went down to Nicaragua. I spent um, almost a year down there, uh, living about three kilometers from the war zone. Wow, what was that like? Um, it was pretty wild. You know, it's it's. Um, I got pretty turned off by the the media because a lot of stuff was kind of like somewhat, you know, somebody's perspective at the time. So I kind of, um, it was pretty wild. It was a. You know, pretty a lot of stuff is pretty normal besides, you know, there's no electricity, no water, stuff like that. And, you know, there's blackouts and stuff like that. And um, but you know, but the, everything the, else is normal. The day to day no, the day to day <laughs> life is like, you know, people going to the grocery store or market or whatever. And um, I lived in a little tiny village up in the mountains and lived in a shack pretty much. It was, you know scraped the bugs off my bed every night before I went to bed and had a cot. And um, yeah, that, a lot of interesting, really cool stories from that time. And I, when I left there, um, I, you know, I had like a Boy Scout backpack and a machete in my back and backpack and came back to San Diego with not a dime and, and uh, did a bunch of traveling after that. Uh, never pursued the war correspondent, did some traveling with a medium format camera and did a bunch of cool photography around the world and um, decided I wanted to cross, I wanted to cross North Africa by foot, the Sahara decided I better start working. Where did that idea come from? Uh, I was flying from um, Nairobi to the middle East and 
on a flight, El Al flight, and I had flying uh, across the Sahara and I just saw, I just, it was so beautiful to see it, that, that area by, it's incredible. And I saw this little tiny out in the middle of nowhere, this little tiny camel caravan. And I was just like face to the window. And I was like, holy cow. So that's kind of where it all started. And I didn't really know how to even start doing it. So I started uh, working with camels and. How did you start working with camels? Lee? <laughs> I, uh, I started calling all around the country trying to find camels to work with. And I eventually went to the zoo. I was living in Michigan at the time. And I went to the zoo to just see the camels. I'd never even like seen a camel up close. And they said, oh, they left. And they went, they were at, there's a camel farm in Kokomo, Indiana. And which, you know, where right that, up the road, right up the road and 25 minutes, 25 minutes. And they said, it's one of the largest camel farms in the world. And they, uh, we had at the one time we had about 360 head of camel, I think, and it was a hundred acres and there's no large camel farms in the world per se, besides in the middle East where they actually, um, do raise them for racing and stuff. But as far as, yeah. you know, they're, so I eventually begged this guy for a job. He gave me a job and I just school of hard knocks, learning, helping, you know, doing camel handling stuff, learning how to you know, we had wild camels and we had, you know, camels that we did, you know, provided at zoos and stuff like that. So I basically learned everything I could. I look like a boy live, you know, farm life, learned how to drive a tractor and all that stuff and dirty all the time. And there was four of us that uh, kind of ran the farm and did the, did all the work and did everything you could think of with a camel, everything. It seems like Kokomo, Indiana to have 360 head of camel, like it seems like a fish out of water. Yeah, what? it's crazy. The guy, there's an old man that had it. He started out with like nothing and eventually just kept on going and going. And I think the max we had at one point was 360. And wow. they provided them, we provided them to about, you know, a lot of the zoos in the country. And if there was a problem, we had to go get them. And it was we drove all over the country and so driving trailers and everything with camels at wow. And yeah. So eventually I met a nomad from the farm and he was a Tuareg and, uh, I met him and I went, actually went to the Sahara with him, him and another friend and a, a girlfriend. We all went to the Sahara and went overland, uh, to Timbuktu from Mali and had a crazy wild nomad experience with them a bunch of crazy Tuaregs. we had a great time and it was like it was interesting because you pull up to these camps there was one camp and there was a bunch of there were chiefs and it was incredible and they were they dress really amazing really ornate you know the Tuaregs, and they're just it's beautiful they rule the sahara and there it was just such an incredible experience i don't think i will ever have that experience again right and him and i started uh um, a desert expedition company and we took people on trips and it was small trips so there was custom trips like nat geo or something and we had about nine camels at the, over there and um him and his wife did the trips and i kind of ran the the network over here or the business over from over here and and uh, sadly enough, he ended up getting 
things started turning over there and we started seeing a lot more threats and um and he ended up getting killed in Timbuktu outside of Timbuktu so it kind of lost everything overnight and then I started waiting tables in Indiana Indianapolis uh I was what was your restaurant the Cafe Patashu oh yeah no kidding it's still doing well yeah and uh just took on more hours and at the restaurant and Nick walked in and that's how I met Nick. And that was 20 years ago. So, and I was with Cody, my nephew, who you met. Oh yeah. Yeah. We just saw him a couple of weeks ago, him and Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very awesome. Yeah. We were at PF Chang's. Yeah. Ran into them. They're doing really well. I guess her season's getting ready to kick off. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of coming into it. So Nick, you were after, all of that, were you just back home visiting? You were back in Indiana. Middle of the sailing trip. So I'd just gotten out of the Navy. Uh, the boat was down in Nicaragua. southern Nicaragua. Yep. yep. And I flew home to see my folks for a week and met we, uh, met Lee while I was up there. And so we just stayed in contact. My mom, funnily enough, gave her a business card. You know, because mom could see like much more clearly than I could. Like, oh, this is probably someone. So you he sat at my table, and then on to. we were. He was Nick was twenty three at the time, just got out of the navy, had wild blonde hair, showed up at Patashu with like shorts and UGG boots, and yeah, we started chatting about Nicaragua. Yep. And then, uh, and then every I went back down to the boat, flew back down, and kept sailing. And then every time I'd pull into port, I jump on you know get like go find an internet cafe i don't think there's well, they have those anymore but <laughs> that was the thing that was the thing is you go to a little internet cafe and log on and i'd send lee an email and we'd go back and forth about books we liked or adventures we wanted to do or places we'd been or all those things and then when i got up to i think up to florida um I was just like, oh, this, this chick is rad. I'm going to go see her. So I told the job I had at the time, I don't know, someone had died or something and just BS'd him and then bought a ticket and flew up to Indianapolis. I think I got there like six in the morning and called her and she was just going into work maybe. Yeah. And then uh, came over that afternoon and we've been together ever since. Yeah. And I told Nick, I was like, hey, I just want to know you to know I'm like, Nick was 23 and I was 35 at the time. And I was like, Nick, I, you know, I just want you to know, like I'm 35 and he, he didn't skip a beat. He goes, well, we better start having kids. That was the first thing out of his head in his mouth. So, which we never did. Which we never did. So it gives us a lot more free time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And good for you. And are you good with it? I mean, is, was that a thing that you wanted to do? Uh, I think for a while. Yeah, it was. And then we had a couple, we had a couple miscarriages, had a couple kind of, yeah, problems. And then it became a thing where we got through both of us the the, like biological urge to have to have kids to procreate and on the far side of that you realize like holy shit that is um that's a giant time suck yeah. <laughs> and we managed to get through it without spending any time yes, at all it is. Maybe we got lucky <laughs> you, you are definitely right about that there's there's a lot of things they don't tell you before you become a parent and then all of a sudden when you become the parent you're like oh they didn't nobody wasn't in the manual nobody wanted to tell me this wasn't going to be all joy nobody wanted to tell me this was more than a full-time job yeah yeah it's yeah 
It is. It's and it's really awesome, but it really is a lot of it's the eighty twenty rule. You know, eighty percent work and then twenty percent's a really good time. And then it it's it's just like when when all the the effort you see it paying off, that's when it feels really good. But just like just like your other babies, just like your business babies, when you see all the work paying off, it's like, oh God, it was worth it. Yeah, it feels you're good. You're you're good. My brother and my sister in law had kids at seventeen and nineteen and now they're empty nesters and he's forty one and she's forty one, so they they did it in reverse, but they're and and it's it's you know it's uh they're actually moving to Alabama soon. He's taking a job in Alabama, but it's a really interesting thing because when it first happens like that, you think, oh man, I'm not a, not something else. But then eventually you realize, like, I don't know, man, man they got to kind of figure it out because now they've got like financial stability. They're just coming into their own as professionals, and they've got a lot of time. They can travel. They're mature. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, or maybe just, they are, they're, they're into adventure. They love to do things like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, sometimes I'm like, I think they got it right. Everyone thought they had it backwards, but, you know, waiting until you're 30, whatever, like I did, it's like, yeah, I don't know, you run out of energy. It's like, damn, I'm, I'm hurting a little bit. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be, I think, what I, <laughs> it's like, geez, how old? Uh, yeah, yeah. How old am I gonna be? Yeah, they won't watch this. Although they do think it's they're they're cool. They think it's cool. Like, Dad's got a YouTube channel. They think it's cool. When did you guys come into the paleo diet? When did when I I know there's it's like been around since I guess the seventies, right? The original paleo well, the original paleo diet's probably been around for two and a half million years or whatever. But as we as we uh, like to coin it, I guess it was originally coined in the 70s and then kind of made a contemporary resurgence. When did you guys come across it and how did it stick? How did it land? Nine. So we had a, a good friend of ours move out from um, the East Coast. He was a Navy guy, came out and coming to the, to the West Coast, got stationed out here and he had bought a house down in Chula Vista. He's a single dude and he bought a house in like a family area or he put a bid in on a house about to close on it. And we said, dude, before you close on that house, just hang out with us. You can stay with us until you close on it. And then maybe look around for another place. Cause I don't think that's going to fit you. He's like, you know, full on tattooed guy, badass dog, badass truck, you know, just like thought the, the world of himself single. And so he stayed with us and, and the house ended up, he, he made the decision like, okay, living in a family subdivision in Chula Vista is not going to be optimal for me as a, as the dude. <laughs> I'm not going to be his wife. <laughs> no, they're all taken. Yeah. For like six months, I think. And he was super strict paleo, super into it. And he was, he was that guy that is just both intense and a giant, just, I mean, anyone who's met a CrossFitter or a paleo person or a vegan person, like, you know, within seven seconds, what they're into and what they believe, because, (laughs) and they also tell you why you should also believe that and why what you're doing isn't the right thing and how you should change your life. And he was such an intense dude that we, that Lee and I who were eating pretty healthy at the time. And Lee didn't talk about her background in health, but she's got a holistic health practitioner 
Um, and then she had sold juicers down at cancer clinics in Mexico. She kind of tried every crazy health diet you've, you can think of. She'd done it. And so we were conscious to the power of, of food, but not really into it. And then when Dave came into our life and, you know, you sit down at a meal with a paleo person, they're like, oh, that, that's going to kill you. That's going to ruin your gut. That's going to whatever, fog your brain, whatever it is. After a couple of days, like Dave, whatever you want to eat, just tell us, we'll buy it. We'll make it. It's we'll easier for dinners. It's just easier to do it this way. And then, yeah. so stop beating us down, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So we started eating paleo and, and we started Felt feeling better. good. Um, it, it worked really well for us. And yeah, it was it, like two weeks in, we were like, wow, this is, I feel really good. Yeah. Yep, feeling better, sleeping better, you know, lifting heavier, running faster, thinking clear, all the usual things that you hear from, from paleo converts. Um, but there wasn't a dessert. And so when we asked Dave, like, oh, what, what do we do for dessert? It's like, oh, we're going to eat fruit. And Lee and I are like, no, we're not fucking eating fruit for dessert. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there? That's not going to cut it. And there wasn't anything else there. So the three of us made up these two, um, the first two paleo treats, the Mac Attack and the Cacao Now. So it was like a macaroon and a, and a brownie. No, it was a cacao. Okay, go ahead. It was a chocolate fruit and nut bar. And we took those up to, at the time, the third ever CrossFit Games, which is still up at the at ranch. Dave Castro's ranch in Aromas. It was us and a meal delivery and I think PF Panda, Panda, Panda Express. Panda Express were the three food vendors. And it was dirty and like tumbleweeds and it was pretty funny. Yeah. So took it up there as a three-day event. And we, I think we made 2000 in the kitchen and we said, okay, well, we had our dogs with us and yeah, dogs were sitting on the table. Like it was non, non health code compliant. At the time. <laughs> Nobody was checking. Yeah. Hey, you're at the ranch. No. And so we, uh, we made 2000 in the kitchen, um, brought them up. We said, we'll sell as many as we can. We'll give, give, the, rest give the rest away. Like whatever's left over when we come back, we'll come down and, you know, there's two CrossFits at the time in San Diego. Now there's probably 60. We said, we'll go to those two CrossFits and we'll just hand out whatever's left over. Um, ended up selling out 10 o'clock in the morning on the second day. We had lines that were, you know, 30 deep with people asking if they could buy everything we had. And we'd say, no, look behind you. Like everyone else wants to buy them too. If we sell them to you, you're going to get your ass kicked. You're going to lose all your food. And we're probably going to get our ass kicked and lose all our money. Like nobody's going to win out of this. Let's, let's have everybody win. We'll just sell you a couple and let everybody else have a piece. And so that's how it started. Um, we came back from that and said, okay, we've, we've got a business. We had just come out of bankruptcies in 2000, I think eight late 2008, uh, maybe early 2009. And we had another business at the time that we had just started as well, an ATM business doing the ATMs at a local farmer's market. And so that was providing kind of cash flow. And I was working, I think I went back and was working for the Navy at the time. So I was working as an instructor. So I had kind of a, a semi-stable environment after having a really unstable and really unpleasant one with the bankruptcy and thought, okay, what can we take from the, the businesses we've started and apply it to this next thing and do a better job. And so we built it from the beginning to be a direct to consumer. We didn't want to do wholesale. We got really burnt on the business before that, that, um, that in part caused that bankruptcy. We'd done a bunch of wholesale stuff. We had this t-shirt company. We'd gotten into Nordstrom and Fred Siegel and all these fancy places and totally didn't know what we we're doing, didn't understand margins, didn't, didn't understand a lot of things. And so we just wanted to fix all that with Paleo Treats. And we said, we're going to go direct to customers. We'll keep the margins high. We'll keep the customer service in our control so that if someone has a problem, we can fix it. And we're not relying on someone else to fix it. And we'll use the power of the web. And in 2009, to sell, to sell food, 2009, there weren't a lot of companies doing that. And there certainly were a lot of small companies selling perishable goods on, online. And so we just kind of by accident of this guy, Dave, moving out, um, fell into this business where there was a... a 
there would be a giant demand. We, we came in right at the very beginning of it and we got to grow with that demand and figure things out as we went. And uh, at first, customers were, were really, um, really understanding. You know, we'd send a box of paleo treats in a cardboard box to Arizona in the summer and it would arrive melted. And the person would say like, well, they melted, but I'll put them in the fridge and it'll be fine. And now it's totally different. You know, now we've spent time at FedEx's million dollar um, kitchen and shipping lab and, and know that like, okay, you need this much insulation and this much dry ice. And this is how big the gel pack needs to be. And this is how fast it needs to get there. And this is how long it takes to get to we New met York with versus a, Texas. So we met with Whole Foods early on. I think it was like 2011 and paleo hadn't really hit yet. And they were very stuck on the gluten-free thing. Cause that's what you think about when you start a food business is, you know, you want to get into whole foods, you know, that's the, that's right. Right. That's the grail, yeah. That's and the grail. And then uh, we met with them and they were like, well, we don't know where to put you because our gluten-free section is like this big, you know, and these need to be refrigerated. And we're like, but they're just whole foods. You know, you just read the ingredients. It's just real whole food. And they were like, oh, we'll just visit it again next year. So the same next next year, the same thing happened. And they were like, well, we don't really know where to put you. And we were like, okay, that's when we decided we're going direct to consumer. And that, that was when we really pushed, yep. became experts in perishable shipping with the help of FedEx. And, and uh, yeah, that's when we just all hand, you know, that's where all our energy and just dropped even the whole, any of the wholesale options. Yeah. So. Was there a time before you guys went to the ranch? Obviously you go to the ranch and people are going crazy and you feel that energy and you're like, all right, we got, we got something here. This is cool. Let's keep going. But was there a time before that when you thought you had something weren't sure, but like you're in the kitchen and somebody, you know, takes a bite of one of them and it's like, Oh my God, that is it right there. We could sell this. How did you decide to turn it into a business? I guess. The funny thing is like, we just thought we would do it. And then, and then we did it. And that was, that was it. It wasn't like we taste them. We're like, these are really good. We'll try this out. And I used to, Dave and I used to work in the same place. So we'd bring them into work, you know, Lee and Dave usually did the recipes. So they'd work on something. I'd bring it into work. And I remember one of the guys there would always, he'd always just, yeah, just kind of make funny of just being, just being a dude. He'd be like, I think at the time we were selling them for $2 and he'd always tease us and be like, he'd call it a $5 brownie. And he had this great pirate voice, like, no one is ever going to buy a $5 brownie. This $5 brownie is garbage or whatever it was he said. And, and you know, now they're selling for whatever, $5.75. And so usually once a year, I'll call him and be like, hey, DC, remember that $5 brownie? Like, it's $5.85 now. <laughs> but, yeah, I think until oh. we got to the ranch, we didn't realize um, what demand would be like. Like, we'd taken them into work, like I said. Yeah, you know, guys liked them. They Guys will eat anything. Um, I don't think guys are, are really that great of a, right. of a test bed. Um, I think the, our most important driver with all that and everything that we do do on our with that stuff is just we want it to be epic. You know, we want every, you know, we, we only have six treats besides the other stuff that we have. And we want every single one of them to be incredible. You know, we don't want to make something just to fill a spot on a shelf or you know, oh, come out with a lemon thing or something like that. And so that was our, I think that's our drive. And I think whether it's like treats or, you know, we're doing bicycle parts, you know, we just want to do something that's well done. And yeah, so that's kind of our. How long did it take you to come up with the individual formulas? 
mean, were some of them quick and some of them were like, we need something with. No, they were like each one literally, I think there's some, uh, there's some that we just never even came out with. And we had a duck fat lemon bar that was called, uh, we named it kick boy. And which is after a Larry McMurtry novel, there's a donkey that he calls kick boy in one of his novels, <laughs> we named it kick boy. And it's made out of duck fat. It was incredible, but it's really hard to make. And so we scratched that. But, you know, every one of them was probably 20 or 30 iterations of a recipe, you know, and it's like we make we hand make everything. So we have a you know, we make probably a thousand to two thousand at a time and they're all handmade. There's no machine, you know, they're they're wrapped by a machine eventually, but it's they're all handmade and yeah, really big on, you know, having them taste good. That's the most important thing. And they're Yeah, cuz if they don't taste good, no they don't taste good, nobody you don't have a business. You're you're mm. giving up your little treat slot, you know, that you you know, and it should be something we wanted to make a dessert that was as healthy as your healthiest meal, right? So if you're awesome. going to have a huge salad and something that makes doesn't make you feel like shit or, you know, some meat and, you know, why not carry that into a dessert. There's no reason you can't right? because you're just eating a handful of nuts, seeds, coconut oil, you know, and I think to have it taste incredible, that was our thing, you know, because you're giving up your calorie slot or whatever you want to, however you want to say it. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, we always go for quality and quality and quality and taste. So you guys, you guys were ahead of the curve on really paleo, right? You even beat Whole Foods to it. And then when do you think the term itself or the diet itself, like apexed and where, because it's, it's funny, like it's just eating whole foods. I mean, it's, it's really eating whole foods minus grains, right? Like get grains out of there and things that we farm, but you know, it's like take it back to hunter gatherer days. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of people, but I think a lot of, there's been so many like uh, ripoffs or whatever, you know, you see like, it's not paleo, it's primal. It's like, well, what's the difference? Like what now we now we're like mincing words here or whatever. Where, where are we at now with the paleo diet itself? Like in who's, I guess, I mean, is it, it had its, I thought with CrossFit, right? When CrossFit was really surging, the paleo diet was also right there, kind of hand in hand and lockstep and doing that. And then whereas overall, I mean, obviously it's just good, clean eating, but as a trend or a, a diet, I guess, where is it? Yeah, I think we saw a lot of cross, you know, we went to a lot of CrossFit games as far as a booth goes. And, you know, we saw the whole change of like, the fancy booths coming into the CrossFit games and all the tents. And it was pretty incredible to watch that whole thing, you know, come to life. And, you know, we still pulled up in our truck with our little tiny, you know, booth. And we always say, say we're like the clampets, you know, pulling up and there's like <laughs> video lights and shit and big screens. And, and uh, we just stuck to that, you know, what we believed in. And 
you know, a lot of these things come up, like, you know, keto came up and mm-hmm. then keto kind of morphed into kind of for, for mainstream, it kind of morphed into what true paleo is, right? Because if you think about, you know, true paleo is nutrient dense eating. It's a lot of veggies and a little tiny bit of meat, fish and fowl. That's quality. Right. And yes. so, and good fats. And a lot of people that we see coming into our store, which is, you know, our big thing is like, as long as people are eating healthy, it's amazing. And uh, a lot of people are kind of morphed into true paleo, but calling it other things, which is fine by us. I mean, it's, you know, as long as people are taking responsibility for their health and, and yeah. Every, hey, every, everything is good over here, guys. Have no fear. What was the, the, from a business perspective, like the biggest learning curve that you had to take? I mean, obviously you go to FedEx, like that's a pretty big step, but were there other ones that you go, man, I didn't think that was going to be that That difficult. No, I don't know if anything was super difficult. It's been, it hasn't been really that little thing. It hasn't been that hard. It just, (laughs) in there where it's like holy shit that's like you know six barbed wire top fences we got to go through with dogs in the middle of each one and and some of them have minds like it's never been like that it's always been all right is there a problem today let's let's fix it and then let's see what happens tomorrow and everybody runs their businesses differently we just we kind of run our business we've had a lot of people like want to like optimizing for invest and you know we funnel those phone calls and you know on in the driving in the car and you know people want to come in with money and you know, we've heard it, heard it, heard it all over the years. And um, what's hard about it? Like, I don't, what do you tell those people Lee when they, when they come and they call and they say, Hey, let's really blow this up. What do you say? That a lot. Um, were you a lot just, of, a lot of times they were curious, you know, like, we're tell curious us more. <laughs> but we, they, a lot of them want to end up changing, you know, some part of the business and we're just, Nick and I are really not good at being told what to do Mm-mm. at all. It's, it's a weakness like, and a strength, but free birds. Yeah. That just wouldn't go well. So we opened up a, a, a store. Yeah. Brick and mortar. Yeah. Brick mm-hmm. and mortar. We wanted to serve the community. We used to be for five years. We were in this artist warehouse in Barrio Logan, which you know where that is. Yes. So we were in this, uh, literally like a four or 500 square foot room with paleo treats for five years. And it was, you, less. It was like 300 square foot or something. And it was, there was 25 artists in this huge building. And so Nick, you know, we, we had paleo treats in there and people would walk in and they'd go like, where, what the hell? And they, ended up closing the building. So that kind of pushed us into getting a another location. So we said, Oh, we might as well have a retail space, you know, so we can serve the community. So we opened up a, you know, a little store in front. So, and we've I'm not, I think not knowing at all how no. much of a difference that was going to make for, for paleo treats. Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd run the business in a very different way when it was kind of 90% mail order. And at this point now it's probably, 50, 50, 50, 50, close enough. 60, that walk Sundays, in. 40, oh, cool. 60. Yeah. So, so we had no idea that was going to happen. So I think a lot of the stuff is you, know, you just go through life and, and just dig whatever comes. If it's like, Oh, cool. Now we start a store, a walk-in store. And how do we, 
how do we figure out how to do a good job of that? And is that something that is fun and joyful and, and allows us to create more joy than great, we're going to do it. And if not, then, then we're not going to do it. So that's kind of the. And does it create more joy? Yeah, I think it's, it's super fun. we got a couple of people who work there. So that's really nice because they get, they get to have their jobs. Um, and I think they, they really appreciate that. One of the things we didn't do during the pandemic because we didn't close. And so what we found is that our, our one, one of our girls who comes in on Saturday, she's like, this job is the best thing that I've got because it's the only time I get to meet people and see people. The rest of the time she's locked up in her, in her room, not locked up, but in, you know, in, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got you. And so, <laughs> not locked up in the back. <laughs> so it became this thing where we saw that we could be kind of a beacon of, of health and maybe a little bit of sanity and stability and say, okay, like we, we can do things differently. We can, whatever, put on the masks and one person in the store at a time, like all we can do that whole dance. But fundamentally what we're going to do is, is let people know that everything's going to be okay. We're all going to get through this together. You can rely on this place to not shut down and also to be a place where you come and get healthy food. Like we're, it's not going to, we're not going to run out of toilet paper. You know, we're just not going to be that, that place that is not reliable or that doesn't really, really push this health and joy piece. So yeah, I think that the, pandemic for us ended up being super good because we decided to be so kind of stable and steady through that. Yeah. So we have three employees. That's great. Yeah. And they're the international <laughs> the headquarters, international headquarters here in normal heights, <laughs> your interstellar headquarters. Yeah. So I think well, it's, it's probably, and I'm obviously speculating cause I don't know, but to have a dessert company, that you're making something to bring joy to people's lives that you're shipping out to them, but you never really get to see them have that joy, like having a brick and mortar and getting to feel their energy. Like they're coming to buy a treat, you know, that's pretty badass. So to, to get an experience that has to be even more encouraging and incentivizing to do more and be better. Yeah. We, uh, some of our people, like some of our regular customers that we ship to, they, they order a lot of treats. Like there's some guy that orders. I think, I think our top customer might be around $30,000 worth of daily treats over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and so you see that and you're like, okay. Oh, you I see the names. And we actually spent time uh, calling those people. And we did it with all our employees and we put them on speakerphone and we, um, we wanted to, our you know, give it, a, give it a really good customer experience and, you know, p- treat people with a lot of kindness and like they're, you know, human beings that, you know, you don't know what their day's like. And, and, uh, we're big on picking up the phone and calling people and, and, uh, making a human connection. And we kind of translate that over into like our social media stuff and what, you know, make sure people want to be, you know, that we see people. You know, like make them feel good. Well, that's an awesome idea. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, I think that's, it It really does. Yeah, that personal touch. I think that's. 20 minute or half hour podcast. What was that guy's name? Derek, Derek Seavers? Oh yeah, the one that you really like. Yeah, he's a, if you look it up, it's Derek Seavers. And he talks about, I think he used to own CD Baby. And he talks about, you know, he created this thing where you, he put music bands, music on, you know, where you could download it online. And he just wanted to 
like make your own CD. But make he, your own CD. His big but thing was a personal touch. Right? His his big thing was a personal touch. And you think about, you know, for us, it's you know we want to help whatever we're doing. We want to expand people's, you know, lives. Make them, you know, just create expansion in their lives. You know, create happiness. And you can, for for Derek Sievers, it was like don't worry about the other guy across the country selling. He he's talking about uh, skate parks, uh, skate skate parts skateboard parts. And he said, don't worry about selling it to the guy on the other, other side of the country, worry about the five kids at the skateboard park. And so we've always applied that philosophy is just worry about the person that's like right in front of you. Hmm. And, you know, and that keeps on expanding. It, it expands on itself. So we've kind of adopted that philosophy and it's, um, you know, we're not, you know, we didn't start this company to, you know, be i think it's it's more like you think of what is a business for and the common common understanding of business is a business is to make profit but a business can be for many things and what lee and i have come to is that a business should be for a couple things simultaneously and one of those things is you've got to make a living you got to pay the mortgage you got to do those things that are a part of kind of normal modern life but the business should also be a source of joy for the people who are working there for the people who are interacting with you as your customers for the people who are owning it. And so if you run a business as if it's a source of joy and optimize for joy, as well as for profit, you end up with something that is what we've got, which is this thing where it's, you know, it's fun to go into work. It's fun to work on. It's fun to do other things. It's fun to hire people. It's, it's like a, the whole thing is there's very few parts of it where you're like, well, man, we got to do that. You get to do things. You don't have to do things. Yeah. It's not, yeah, we don't, yeah, it's, what is it about you guys that lets you be around each other so much to make personality traits, to work with your spouse? It's not, I don't think it, many couples find it very easy. How do you guys manage that? How do you guys manage your own personal relationship and then your work relationship? Is it different? Is it the same? Do you draw boundaries? How does, how does that all happen? Nothing, no boundaries. I didn't figure there would be. I, I, I mean, think go ahead. for me, it's going to sound funny, but like, he's fucking entertaining. Like, and I think like, that's the biggest, one of the biggest things for me is I just, he's entertaining. I never know what he's going to come up with or, and he's super smart. So he's like a Renaissance man. So I get entertained <laughs> like all the time. You guys keep each other guessing. I mean, like by being entertained, it's like, where, where did you come up with that? Where was that idea? What, you know, that thought? I think it's one of those things where it's, it's the way that you see the world. And both of us have decided to see the world in ways where everything is, is a, like a challenge or growth opportunity. And so a lot of times having a long-term relationship can be really difficult. We see that there's a high divorce rate. Like that's for a reason. It's not because relationships are super easy and you always get everything you want whenever you want it. It's because they're, they're pretty fucking hard and yeah. to stay in one and to, to meld your mind with someone else and to bend sometimes your wants and desires to someone else's wants and desires can be a, a really difficult thing. But for both of us, what I think we've seen is that doing difficult things is what brings you the most joy in the long term and what makes you grow the most. And so seeing the relationship as a way to like as a path to growth and as a forcing function for for personal growth is has led to the relationship we have today, which is still, you have places where you fight and you're just, 
you know, they say, don't go to bed mad. Like we've gone to bed mad <laughs> an awful lot. Um, but then at the, I think one thing we came up with really early on in our relationship and our um, marriage was um, we said, okay, <laughs> it's like the, this story we tell. So we got in this big fight. We were living in Pacific Beach at the time. I don't know, 10 miles from downtown San Diego, something like that. And Lee took, I was like, I'm fucking, I'm out of here. Like, I'm never coming back. And she took away all the money. Like, I, I couldn't find where she hid it. She took my wallet, took like all the keys. So I couldn't get anywhere. So I took all the money in the piggy bank and I took, took this change and had it in my hand. And I started heading downtown to divorce court. So I couldn't, didn't have the keys, didn't have the car keys. So I couldn't drive down. So I'm walking down and Lee's behind me. And by this time, she's like realized that maybe we took this one too far. And so she's crying, walking behind me like, oh, bunny, I'm sorry. Like, it still hurts me when I think of it, think about it this day. And I'm just in that mode. like, fuck you. I am done. I am out of here. And she's trying to keep up. And like, I don't know, as an athlete, like there's 0% chance she's going to keep up with me. <laughs> so I just started running and I, you know, still kind of hear her in my, in my memory, like, oh, it's this really sad thing where she's like, bunny. <laughs> So I'm so pissed that I'm just like, I'm burning the whole thing down. So I get down to downtown, you know, a couple hours later, uh, get downtown and get, go into this divorce court and I've got my money and I walk up to the line and I get, get to the end of the line. I'm like, Hey, I, I'm here to get divorced. And they're like, Oh, you're in the wrong building, sir. That's 21 B. It's a block and a half down the street. And you're just like, fuck. <laughs> so I go down to building you're right. and you're, whatever it is and to get into that thing. And, and now I know I'm in the right place because everybody's pissed. You're in this room where everybody's life is kind of falling apart. And you're like, all right, this is, this is definitely the right place. And I get up to the, the counter. I'm like, I'd like to file a whatever divorce decree or whatever it is. And she's like, okay, it's, you know, $12 and 50 cents. So I'm counting out my money and I've got $12 and 50 and I push it across the table. Like, here you go. Give me the paperwork. And she goes and she counts out the money. And one of the quarters was a Mexican peso. She's like, well, <laughs> sir, it's short 25 cents. And so I look around I'm like, hey, has anyone got a quarter so I can get divorced? And everyone just kind of looks at the ground. <laughs> no one's looking at me. And the, the lady kind of with a prover white on the lady, like pushed it all back. She's like, well, if you can find a quarter, like come on back. And so <laughs> I always say a Mexican peso saved my marriage because I didn't have enough to get divorced, but I had enough for the bus ride home. Oh. <laughs> I rode the bus back home and, and we made up. But after that, we had this thing where we said, okay. Um, <laughs> what'd you say? What'd you say when you, what'd you say when you got home? Like I didn't, I didn't have enough money. Stuff. I think that's, there's nothing like fancy to it. It's just, we all make mistakes. We all yeah. screw up. We all get super angry and say things we probably shouldn't say. And at the end of the day, like the, the best you can do is just say you're sorry and, and move on. Um, and, and sometimes there's nothing else to do. So we, we came to this position, or we came to this place where we said, okay, from here on out, divorce is off the table. You want to leave for a couple of days? Cool. You want to get pissed and call me names? Like, fine. We're going to go through those times, but we are not separating permanently. We are stuck together. We've tied in like, this is it. That's, that's the deal. And that has worked really well as a, as a bedrock for us. So it's like, okay, fine. You know, you get in the heat of the moment and you say, and some, I think also with you know, that things in the background, you move through things really fast, right? You know where you're coming back. You know to. where you're coming back to. So like, yeah. you know, the, the being pissed at each other lessons and like, Hey, let's just get to the, I'm sorry's and how can I do better? What do you need right now? And, but you learn all that stuff and where you learn it is in a relationship. 
You know, you don't learn it by a self-help book. You learn it in like when you're in it and it's, you know, we have all these stories that we tell ourselves, but it's in the end, it's probably pretty simple. You know, you're like, I'm sorry. You know, what do you need right now? What can I do better? You know, let's move on and go do something productive. Yeah, that's, I'm a really quick, I'm sorry. It's, I think it's really the easiest way to just move past something. Even if I never felt like I was wrong, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry I must have done something. I'm sorry for whatever the situation is. I'm just sorry. And I think you're right. When you've agreed that you ain't going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere either, then that is really easy to just, all right, let's, let's get past this. Nothing's changing here. We're here. We're together whatever you work had got to work through, you're going to really have, you're going to face it all the rest of your life with another person or another situation, or if you're whatever it is, you know, so you might as well heal it now with somebody that you're, you know, you care about. Yeah, that is, that is true. Yeah. The relationships like the conduit to the healing and it's the, a little bit of, it's obviously not always a struggle, but there, there are struggle moments. And I love how you said that it's like the struggle now really, pays off down the line. Cause I've, I have this like recurring thought as I'm kind of watching the world now and we're our reward system. I feel like is becoming dumped up on its head where we want minimal effort for maximal reward instead of maximal effort for minimal reward. I'm a big delayed gratification guy. And that's, I mean, the essence of what you're saying is the struggle now really does pay off and it feels really good later. And it's a, it's a tough concept and it's hard to get people to buy into it, but that's what it is. Sacrifice now really pays off later. Eating clean now, being healthy, living now, all of those hard decisions that we make that it's like, well, that looks really good. Well, that looks really good. Yeah, I could have that, but is that going to help me when I'm 80? Is that going to help me get to 80? You know, is that going to keep me out of the hospital? Is that going to keep these joints in my brain going all the things like the struggle now really does pay off down the line, but it's, it's hard to get the buy-in on that. Tell me, uh, before we go, about I, – I had never heard, Nick. So Gristle King is the helium ecosystem. I don't – what is the helium ecosystem? Is this something I should know? I need to know something. What am, what am I missing? I went to the website, and I'm like, what in the world? I need, a, I need to sign him up to be my consultant. What's helium? Well, I know what helium is, but that's mostly, that's Nick's baby. That's mostly what he, what he does. He's, he's pretty, pretty well known with the, being the, being the gristle yeah. king. So let's, let's talk about what it is. So helium is, is a blockchain and it's this, it's a blockchain with, with radios. So basically what you do is you put a radio on your house, that radio provides coverage around you for what are called IOT or internet of things sensors. So that could be tracking vehicles or whether or not a door is open or whether or not a car is parked somewhere. Um, and in return for you putting the radio on your house that provides this coverage, that radio talks to other radios that are on other people's houses. It proves that you are where you say you are, that you're providing the coverage that you're providing, and you get rewarded with, with uh, cryptocurrency tokens called HNT, a helium network token. So that in, in short is how it works. And then those tokens you can trade for dollars. And on the open market right now, those are, I don't know, 25 bucks. They've been as low as, um, well, zero a while ago, but I think when I found it in August or September of 2020, 
they were under two bucks and they've gone as high as 60. So it's crypto, it's, it's crazy. Um, and at one point it was this incredibly profitable thing. And that really drove, drove my kind of consulting business to, to grow super fast. But now it's kind of dying back down and, and now it's more of like a normal return. So you think about, you put a helium miner on your roof. It's kind of like having someone have a minimum wage job and give you all their money. Um, so it's, it's not a great thing, but it's not a bad thing. Yeah. And it can, I mean, for, it's just passive income. It's just another source of passive income, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. I just, I just had this client the other day who's a, literally a, a barmaid in Brighton, England who had bought a, a couple hot spots with their boyfriend or boyfriend. I think they split up and he's like, you can keep all these things. And as we talked, you know, the kind of light switches on, like maybe I don't have to wait at the bar. Like maybe I could just do this as a full-time gig. Maybe this could give me some freedom and some independence that, that otherwise I wouldn't have. And that is, that's probably the most exciting thing about blockchain and cryptocurrency is it's just this different level and scale of economy and, and passive income and things that you, that you can do that for a lot of people were, were never within reach. And so that's, that's super cool to be helping people kind of change their lives in that way. That's really cool. And what is Climate X? Am I saying that right? Climate, Climax. Climax. Climax thing. So the Climax thing was, it was a, it started off as a funny thing. I was, I've been into this cryptocurrency thing for a while and um, ended up making a, a bunch of HNT. And so I started noticing that at night I'd be spending a lot of that HNT on like fun projects. And so this thing called Unstoppable Domains came out and said, you can, you can create a domain, just like you have a .com, gristleking.com or paleotreats.com or nicarwick.com. Like you can have a dot whatever. And there was a dot X. And so I'm, I'm scrolling through the listings and I see Clima.x. I'm like, oh, Climax. I can buy that and sell it to the porn industry next year. So it's like a $15,000 website. And I had plenty of tokens in my account. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take one of those. And the funny thing was, it was a two for one deal. You could buy two. You got the second one was the same or lesser value. So having bought this super expensive website, what do I do? Like, I don't go looking for another super expensive website. I'm like, ah, for my two for one, I'll just buy gristleking.x, which is worth like $15. And I hit the, you know, the, whatever the buy now or the send button. And then I realized like, shit, I could have gotten another super expensive website. <laughs> so I kind of kicked, I kicked myself for a couple of days. I'm like, man, I really missed that by moving too fast. I mean, sometimes you have to move super fast in crypto. And then this idea that I've had for decades of, helping people or walking people through experiences that I've had. Um, and, and some of those experiences are ones that are really difficult to come by. So it might be simple stuff, uh, you know, jumping out of a plane or shooting a gun or, um, or, you know, more complex stuff like sailing a, a boat on a stormy sea, or just having these really physical experiences that are, are like deeply experiential and moving. And then seeing through my exposure to cryptocurrency and to the blockchain and to technology, because one of the things I had to learn how to do is how to code all these little computers and, you know, make, make them work was seeing, okay, there are, there are realities that exist that I didn't realize existed. Um, and the way that this world works is a mystery to most people. If we think about the phone in our hands, if we think about the microphone in front of us or the computer screen or anything, very few of us know how any of that stuff works. And behind each one of those things, behind the microphone, behind the phone, behind the computer, behind all that stuff are a series of equations and also gates and paths that are decisions that are made by the, by the machines. And so I started thinking, how do I put all of these experiences together? How do I put my time in a digital reality as I got into more, more and more deep into helium um, and this kind of physical reality where I've had these sometimes really intense experiences, how do I put that together? And that's where the climax thing came out. So the general idea is that 
there's a really high buy-in for about 20 people. Um, and for those 20 people, it's about a $60,000 buy-in. They put their, they get their ticket and they buy their ticket. And I'm not sure when this comes out. So they may, they may hear about this after they've bought their ticket. Um, although I don't know how many techno people you have watching this. And this is mostly like focused at the folks who have their faces plugged into a computer forever. Um, anyway, they, they get the buy-in, they get the ticket and the ticket's like, Hey, show up on a restaurant, show up at this restaurant on this time and date. And it's a, whatever nice restaurant, you know, wear, wear walking shoes. We're going to go for a walk afterward. They come up to the restaurant, black van pulls up. Someone comes out of the restaurant, says, you're not going to get dinner, get in the van. They get in the van, they go to an airfield at the airfield. There's planes and helicopters. The 20 people get split up into groups. Some of the people go in helicopters. Some of the people go in, in the planes. Um, in some of the planes, there are some of my old buddies from my old life and they're, they've got their tandem rigs on. And so they strap these people into the tandem rigs. In some of the other planes, it's just like a bush plane that can land anywhere. And the helicopters, it's just a small helicopter. So the, the people get split out and sent out to the desert. And some people get jumped into the desert. So now they're doing a night jump strapped to someone who totally knows what they're doing. But maybe the person who's, who's getting jumped doesn't have any idea and has never experienced jumping out of a plane at night before it, whatever it is. So they come into the desert, um, the people get dropped off in helicopters, the bush planes land, and now they're kind of scattered in these different places and they start to get split into teams. And each team of say four people has a backpack with a couple goggles in it, AR, VR goggles, augmented reality or virtual reality goggles. And as they put those goggles on, they, they see that the world around them starts to change. So the whole push of the experience is to be this thing where we show people how permeable the barrier is between the digital and physical reality, that, that things are equally real on both sides. So they put the goggles on, they see a green cross glowing on the ground. They've got to realize like, okay, I got to dig where the cross is, go down a foot. I get to a canister that's got warm food and water and a radio that's going to get me out of here. They get into that and they start kind of going across the desert in their little four-man group or four-person group. And they might find, they might see like a, a doorway in the desert, just a framed doorway, nothing else, not a door, not a building, nothing else. They look through that door. Normally there's nothing on the other side. They put the goggles on and look through it. And it's a giant aquarium, like an undersea environment. And as they pass through that door and they move into the undersea environment, there's only two of them that can see it because there's only two goggles per group. So two people have it, two people don't. The two people with the goggles start to see giant sharks coming and attacking them. And they've got things that they can hold in their hand that are in the bag that are like bang sticks. So you can get, get the sharks to stay away from you, but they got to get close enough that you can hit them with a bang stick. And then the shark goes off and comes back and comes in for another attack. It can attack you. It can also, the shark kind of sees the people who are in the physical realm as well, even though the people in the physical realm can't see the digital shark. So you've got to shepherd two of the people have to shepherd the other two people through and across this thing to a virtual doorway on the other side. On the physical side, there are people coming out and this is at night. There's people coming out of the shadows who are also old buddies of mine from the kind of, I don't know, fighting martial arts side. And they're coming in with rubber batons or foam batons, whatever. And they're physically attacking the, the group as well. So the physical side has to protect the digital side. The digital side has to protect the, the physical side. And it's not a full on like gouge your eyes out attack, but it's just like it's putting physical pressure on people. It's getting them a little bit scared, getting their heart rate up, getting them not super comfortable. They go out the virtual door on the other side and everything is, is back to normal. And they go on to the next, whatever it is, the next experience. And so over the course of a couple of days, they go through a bunch of these experiences. Now, outside of that, there is a ring of people who acts as their kind of overwatch at home. So let's say you signed up and you can have your buddies back home, Rico or whoever it is. You're like, hey, I want you to watch this browser. And the browser is a satellite um, over a satellite image 
of what your group is doing. And so the person back at home can be watching and saying, hey, dude, take the take the path on the left. Don't take the path on the right. The path on the left is like better. The right side has got obstacles and traps and whatever. And so they're walking you through this, this maze that you have to go through. And then outside of that, because there are there's cameramen kind of watching the whole thing, and there's also the feed from the goggles is going through to the outside world, there's tickets to, to watch the whole thing. So you can see it from the perspective of the shark. You can see it from the perspective of the person in the aquarium. You can see it from the, you know, the perspective outside of people with cameras streaming that into the kind of physical people being attacked. And whatever it is they're doing, whether they're calling A-10s in for a ground strafe or they're doing something where they're getting their heart rate down as fast as they can using biofeedback or they're going through this kind of aquarium scenario, all of that stuff is streamed to the so the kind of public facing world. And so over the course of three days, they go through a, a bunch of different um, experiences. And some of those might be, you know, from kind of Lee's background, you might be sleeping a night in the desert and a, ca a camel caravan just walks right through the middle of your tent. And you've just got to experience it. Like some of the stuff you have to wake up and fight some challenge or beat something. And some of it is just, it's there for you to see something that most people will never see. And to try and share that experience with as many people as possible by having the, the cameras and the rest of the, the video stuff there. Um, and then there's other aspects to it where you have like gaming companies saying, hey, there's this thing you can find in, in this experience that you can't get anywhere else. So if you play, for example, World of Warcraft, there's some flaming sword in this experience that you can find as a participant that you can't find in World of Warcraft. But if you pick it up here, you can then use it in the game later. You can sell it in the game later or transfer it or do whatever. So it's this blending of the physical, of the digital, of what's going on wow. in the world of NFTs, because all of this is kind of functioned um, or attached to NFTs as tokens. So you get one NFT if you're a participant, you get one F NFT or a different one if you're Overwatch, you get something different if you come in and help run the experience. So if you're a lane grader, you're making sure people are staying safe, stay, staying safe, or you're the, you're the assailant coming out of the dark. Like all of those different people get rewarded in different ways. And this all gets built on the blockchain so that it's easy to transfer your token to someone else or to sell your token to someone else. So if you do the first experience and you're like, man, maybe that was too much, that token gets sold to the next person. and yeah, there's a bunch of like kind of tokenomic stuff and cryptocurrency stuff and blockchain stuff behind it. But that's that's probably enough to give you an idea of what. Whoa. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, that is that is and that's going to be quite the experience for people. So when when is it when are we talking? So you can go there's a website climaxdow.xyz you can go to now because it turns out that Clima.x isn't something you can actually use as a website. So the money that I spent <laughs> is actually completely useless. So at some point that'll open up and we'll probably shift it over there. But for now it's um, climaxdow.xyz. The event itself will be probably looks like late October, 2022. So we got just about seven months to put it together um, and to yeah let people know that it exists and, and how they can participate and how they, how they can yeah benefit out of it. Because that's one of the things I saw with crypto is that there's this really cool thing, W-A-G-M-I. You might see it if you get on crypto Twitter. It's People say, wag me. It means we're all going to make it. And it's this idea that because we're participating in a new economy with new ways of, of understanding the world and with so much um, value being generated is that we can all enter into an experience where it's not extractive from one side to another, is that everybody brings value to the table, everybody um delivers value when they get there and everybody leaves with value. And so that's that's one of the kind of core components of this thing is if you touch Climax Dow in any way, I want you to win. And that's a super cool way to, to approach a business. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, guys, what's what's next?
obviously that for you, Nick. You got any races coming up or anything? No crazy races. No, I, I haven't flown a paraglider in a couple months now. I've been working hell for leather on grizzliping and a little bit on paleo treats and on this climax thing. I think, you know, I'm 44. This is like the prime of my life where the, the physical and the mental and the emotional pieces all really come into, yeah. into their most strength with each other. And so this is the year that I'm going to put on a couple banger events and have a ton of fun and, and do the very best I can and then see how long I can hold on. <laughs> awesome. Lee? Keep creating. Any trips? Any? No, no, no. Writing my writing a book, putting all my stories in a memoir. So I'm working on that, and then uh, nice. Yeah, that's. I think that's it. We got. We got I plans to go to Paris. Plans to go to Egypt, but nothing. Nothing super solid right now. I think the stuff we have in front of us is so exciting and so engaging yeah. that the thing that travel yeah. used to be, which is really engaging, exciting, you know, rich experience, probably going to Egypt has now become in front of us rather than go on the see the pyramids. Yeah, that makes sense, Nick. I I like what you said. Yeah, this this why escape this when this is so good. This is pretty rad, but but I'm with you, Lee. I'd love to do Egypt too. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some, should we say something I've written down the whiteboard back here is that the, the Sphinx was a Roman tourist attraction. Oh yeah, I was reading. So 2000 years ago, like we think of the Sphinx as a, a modern tourist attraction. It was a tourist attraction then because it wasn't new then. It was still old then. Yeah, it was like- And you think about how crazy cool. this- 3000 years old and they, I was reading in this book and the Greeks and the Romans used to go visit it as tourists. That- wow. That is crazy to think of, isn't it? I know what we think is a long time. I mean, humans or human-like species have been around for millions of years. So just blip on the radar. Yes. 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 Yeah, that's a really good one. that, That starts to open your eyes a little bit to what's, oh, the stories we've been told, right? Wait, I thought we started 12,000 years ago. Oh, no. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just just looking here. Well, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you. This was fascinating for me. I learned a lot, and I actually can't wait to go back and re-listen to it. Yeah. Cool. Right cool. on. Thanks for having us on. Okay. Cool to, to really appreciate it. it. Thank you. Best of luck, guys. Bye, Nick. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.